Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. Last week, Donna Cryer took over the podcast so I could have time on vacation. We were offering three conversations from her podcast on broadening patient participation and increasing engagement in clinical trials. In this conversation, Donna and her panelists, social media maven and metadata vice president Alicia Staley, NORx chief medical officer James Powell, and Global Liver Institute Global Head of NASH Programs, Jeff McIntyre, discuss critical factors in motivating underserved and minority patients to participate in NASH clinical trials. In the process, they talk about experiences in breast cancer and one particularly interesting here's what not to do story. This isn't exactly a typical Surfing NASH episode, but there's a tremendous amount to learn here. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, Join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. With Roger Green on vacation, he invited Donna Cryer, founder and CEO of the Global Liver Institute, to lead Surfing Nash this week. Donna's guests are Jeff McIntyre, director of Nash programs at the Global Liver Institute, patient advocate and breast cancer social media pioneer Alicia Staley, and Dr. James Powell, a national thought leader on recruiting clinical trial patients from underserved communities. Join them as they discuss keys to creating diverse representative patient populations for Nash trials this week on Surfing the Nash Tsunami. So the focus of today is instead of trial by trial, sponsor by sponsor, patient by patient, how can we really be transformational in approaching NASH clinical trials? I looked it up on clinicaltrial.gov. God love it. There are 1,028 studies in NASH that are listed or registered on clinicaltrials.gov. A smaller subset, 982, in NAFLD recruiting right now. There are 257 NASH trials and 251 recruiting in NASH or fatty liver disease. So that's across drug, device, diagnostic. We need anywhere from 30 patients to 200 patients. So if we just say it's about 100 patients per trial, that's like 25,000 patients. So that's a daunting task. I think we need to do bold things. I've given sort of an overview of this daunting task that we have in NASH, but this isn't the first field that we've had to recruit a lot of patients in. And what I've really wanted to bring in with the benefit of this very diverse and different experience that we have on this panel is what we can learn. I'll start with you, Alicia. What can we learn from breast cancer? What has been successful in having trials that patients actually want to participate in and helping patients find the right trials for them? That's a great question. Um, We have an opportunity to learn a lot from the breast cancer community. The breast cancer community in particular has really been at the forefront of of a lot of advocacy movements over the last decade or so. And I would say that while 
breast cancer communities have figured out a good way to recruit participants, we still have a long way to go. I, I don't think that there's an easy solution to this question by any stretch of the imagination, but I can tell you what's worked in the breast cancer community, and that's collaboration and building collaboratives that historically might have been frowned upon. So having sponsors and companies come together that historically have been considered competitors are starting to collaborate on the concept of the patient. So instead of competing on patients, sort of flipping that equation and really starting to think about ways that we can collaborate for patients. And that really starts with a better baseline of education and understanding about clinical trial opportunities. I think we need to get to a point where we can build better patient to physician interactions and relationships and then take those relationships into the community. This is not a question that we can brute force or, or just keep throwing money at it and expect it to solve <laughs> solve for putting patients in trials. We need a little old school magic too, where we get back to building better relationships, building true communities of interest when it comes to participating in a clinical trial and start from there and then layer in the tech, if you will, once you've got that better foundation. Without it, I think all of these efforts are really hamstrung out of the gate. I think that's so right. And we'll get to some of the technical aspects in a moment. Dr. Powell, I think that certainly working directly with communities has to resonate with you. How do you think we can do a better job, particularly of making sure in NASH, there are signals that Hispanic patients might have a greater predisposition, a a genetic predisposition to fatty liver disease and NASH. We know that there are examples of lean NASH or NASH in lean individuals. So we know we need to reach out to Asian populations to make sure that we're understanding those profiles of disease. So how can we make sure that we get a patient population into trials that reflects the population of patients who will need to have NASH drugs? That's also a lot of patients with diabetes and concurrent diseases. I really appreciate you asking me that question because it's one that I'm always willing to talk to anybody about. One of the things, the reason people don't do is they just don't have the information. First of all, they don't have the information, but second and probably even more important is where they get the information from. Is it from a source that they feel confident or can trust? Or is it somewhere that, you know, who, who knows? But what the data say, what's been published time and time again, is that if the patient, for instance, have a health care provider or a physician that they trust, that would be the person they would most likely want to get both information about the disease as well as the information about the trial. But the problem is, with respect to trials at least, physicians don't talk about it. They don't bring it up. They don't get it with respect to people involved in clinical Probably less than 10% of physicians in the country participate in clinical trials. And in the minority communities, it's woefully less than that, probably less than 2 or 3%. If it's that many of the physicians that have a trust relationship working with patients have any experience in clinical trials. And one of the things we got from Project Impact now, I can go on forever, so you have to interrupt me because I'll... <laughs> but most people think that being a physician would necessarily train you and have information about clinical research. Well, you may get some exposure to it in your medical training, but for persons in practices, it's not something that's on their daily routine. It's not something that's necessary. They will see results from trials, but the clinical trials process is not for the physician who's in a day-to-day practice. It's not routine. So if you want to have patients more knowledgeable about clinical research, then you have to give them a source of information that they can trust. And usually that's with the physician. Now, some patients who are incentivized, like one of the people on our board was a breast cancer survivor. These people are incentivized to want to know and understand the disease. And they go to the internet and they go and they, they'll ask their doc. They'll do things to 
find out where the clinical trial is and what it's about. Or they'll ask about their disease and all those kinds of issues. But for this particular case, you really want to make sure what I've been involved in, what I'm trying to do now is create a program that trains every doc that has the trust of patients to understand what clinical research is about. That's what we're trying to do. So if you go into a community that has a high prevalence of, say, NASH, every physician that has the trust of patients ought to know, first of all, what clinical trials is about and what they do and how they run, and secondly, what the disease is about, so they can be a resource to their patients. We've got to, we've got to figure out a way to incentivize the physicians to talk to their patients about this kind of disease and, and give them the right information. And that's generally been an issue with respect to a lot of clinical trials that are conducted in that country. I certainly agree. And Jeff, you have been instrumental in putting together the Global Liver Institute's NASH Council, which is now over 70 members, including a lot of different medical societies. So how do you create that awareness and connect physicians to training, potentially so that patients are going into warm, receptive environments with the physicians that they can trust and can have a conversation about NASH itself and National Clinical Trial? It's an overlap of several programs at Global Liver that actually do this. If you think about the NASH patient, there's kind of a through line for patients, which is originally they would be at risk and then there's screening and diagnosis and disease severity, hopefully with treatment, although there are potential adverse outcomes such as transplant or worse for this. And one of the things that we do at the Global Liver Institute is that there's this kind of through line of programmatic support that, as you say, Donna, we don't just pursue a solution at every stage for the patient, but we are supporting the field of fatty liver disease and NASH at every stage. And this can come about in several different ways. We've got educational materials for International NASH Day. We had, what, 16 different languages they were translated in International NASH Day itself. It's a multi-country, very successful event as well. We've recently expanded our Liver Action Network, which includes now collaborations with the Liver Coalition of San Diego, the Liver Wellness Foundation, the Mid-South Liver Alliance, the Texas Liver Foundation. And this all builds on other aspects of global liver programs, A3, advocacy, our NASH Council that you mentioned, we'll be doing a patient-focused drug development symposium in late autumn as well. What I have found is that the more that the companies invest in the patients, then the less hard it is for them to recruit into the trials. So many of the clinical trials historically, as we were joking a little bit about, can almost have a little bit of a drive-through quality to it. You know, it's like, okay, you've got your early NASH, let's see, F3, some high blood pressure. Maybe we'll get you a side of diabetes and IBS to go along with that. Great, great, great. Here's your $5. Buy biopsies next door, move along. And patients want a little more than that. They want to make sure that the language is something they understand. Maybe they get the results with them. As you know, I, on behalf of patients, have been blessed enough to participate in some protocol reviews, which really even comes down sometimes to not just the parsing of language, but the order in which the language comes from. I think I can say this safely, but on an anonymous protocol review I may or may not have participated on, when they listed the requested requirements, it was it was separated by gender. For women, it was um, you know a certain amount of free time. They were looking for a certain amount of co-occurring disorders. Age was a consideration in the midst of this. When it came to the men, what they led with was you must have a vasectomy, and immediately just stopped reading. It wasn't clear whether they were going to be giving vasectomies to do it, whether you had to have one coming in. It was just nope, nope. Just, uh-uh, I'm stopping reading the recruitment thing at that point. Well, I'm pretty sure they did stop. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so that's an easy fix, but it it had to have a patient that, as Dr. Powell said, is invested, is educated, is empowered to meet appropriately a company that is invested, that is educated and empowered about patients. And Global Liver, granted, I'm biased, but we have done a tremendous job and continue to grow in creating the programs that can help the field grow at every stage that they are engaging the patient. Well, Jeff, I think for the very reasons that you cited and so many more, which we could spend an entire episode on, things that should never have been in the protocol. We do not recruit for any trials that do not demonstrate how patients or patient advocates have affected and had insights integrated into the trials. So we have an obligation then to provide patients who are trained, equipped to comment on protocols and participate effectively in protocol reviews and other aspects of research. But we just don't recruit when it's all baked and done and we're handed something that has just non-starters like that. It's not our job to sort of clean up and rescue trials that have been poorly designed without patient input to try to fix for the recruitment side or fix on the recruitment side, which should have been done on the protocol development or the site selection side or the site preparation side. So that's why we're happy to help. But Dr. Powell, one of the things that you said about highly incentivized informed patients in breast cancer, I I think a lot, it it stems, Alicia, from your work, creating that culture of participation in breast cancer, that expectation that you should seek out information. There are places making it easy for people to find credible information. But that expectation on that part of what it means to be a breast cancer patient. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, July 28th, with a discussion of comprehensive care models for NASH and comparing what different community models look like and what we can learn about treatment. It's a fascinating topic a perspective we haven't looked at yet, and we will have with us the lead author of the most recent important paper on this issue, uh, Jeff Lazarus. I hope you join us then. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.